Hey there, fellow thinkers and dreamers. Welcome to Poorly Taped, the podcast where two small town liberals dive into the deep end of life's big questions, share our thoughts on politics, religion, and everything in between. I'm Brad. And I'm Jenny. And we're here to bring you a fresh perspective from the hearts of our little corner of the world. It may be a small town, but the ideas are anything but. Absolutely. Whether you're sipping your morning coffee, driving to work, or just taking a stroll, we're your companions in exploring the complexities of life and the world around us. So what can you expect from Poorly Taped? Well, we'll be sharing our experiences, challenging each other's viewpoints, and hopefully sparking some thoughts in your mind too. Expect lively debates, the occasional friendly disagreement, and maybe a few laughs along the way. We're not just here to talk at you. We want you to be part of the conversation. Episode will tackle a new topic. It could be the latest political drama, a reflection on a personal experience, or a deep dive into the meaning of life. Nothing is off the table. And hey, we might not have all the answers, but we're here to explore the questions together. It's like having a virtual coffee chat with friends who aren't afraid to dive into the tough stuff. So join us every week as we navigate the twists and turns of life in our small town, sharing our liberal perspectives and hopefully finding some common ground with you, our fantastic listeners. Poorly taped, because even in a small town, big ideas can flourish. Subscribe now and let's get this conversation started. Brad, what is your most liberal thing of the week this week? Well, given that I took quite a few days off of work, I perceive that my social network is often quite small uh, without going to work here in our small town. Um, So one of the things that I reflected on this week was not trying to take a binary approach to the conflict. I was reflecting on my own personal experiences of being in Iraq and being part of the initial invasion into that country and realizing how completely disruptive that was to the everyday civilians and even to the military forces. So I was really just trying to reflect on how there is a lot of people, innocent that aren't related to these governmental conflicts between terrorism or the Israeli government and how just reading my social media feed and a few other things, how there there seems to be like a real dichotomous approach, like either you're pro-Israel or you're pro-Palestine, where I feel like you can be both um, and that people deserve to be treated with dignity and respect and the actions not just. And like, I just remember being on a tank, driving into Baghdad and realized, and not, I mean, not even at the time, but as an older person and coming from that experience 20 years later, just how absolutely disruptive and chaotic that event was and how even, you know, this is probably pretty liberal But as Americans and our response after 9-11, which ended up in the death of, you know, hundreds of thousands of Iraqis in Afghanistan's on really not good intelligence. Um, So I just was reflecting on how it's really important that we recognize how many people are, this is, there's a lot of nuance in the discussion. 
that's really my liberal thing of the week. That's a big one. That's a big, uh, big heavy one right there. Yes, it is. It's really heavy. Yeah. So I was trying just like, I just keep thinking about like logical fallacies, binary, either or, and even growing up as a person who was raised in a very evangelical religion, just how any kind of conflict in the Middle East just seems to spark people's thoughts into Armageddon. Well, yeah, because it's religiously, it's a pretty big deal, that area, right? To a lot of religions. Yes. But any kind of conflict over there, because there's these perceptions of a great war that must be fought and the temple must be rebuilt or, or something like that. I can't even really remember much of the end times theology, or I think the word is eschatology, that I was enwrapped in when I was in a very conservative religion and how frightening the imagery was of any kind of end of the world where everybody's going to be burned in nuclear annihilation and rumors and rumors of wars. And anytime there was anything that happened in Israel or in the Middle East, it was just, it seemed like people were really excited about that. And just like, see, see, look, look, it's coming. Jesus is coming. Like pay your tithing and do this or you're going to be burned. And yeah, so I, I don't know, like for a lot of me, it was just a reflection on just not being hyper binary, realizing that these, I don't know enough about this conflict and that it's been ongoing for a really long period of time mm-hmm. after World War II, I think in 1947 or 48, whenever the state of Israel was established and how there was a bunch of people that were displaced and, and the Palestines. But I think I grew up with a lot of really negative imagery surrounding the, the Palestinian people. So I'm just trying to put that into some kind of, I'm, as a person who doesn't really know much about it, I'm more just um, trying to be cautious of those social media messages and realizing that there's a lot of people, innocent people on both sides that are going to be significantly impacted and governments are probably going to make a lot of mistakes. Yeah, they tend to. Yeah. Because for the most part, I think governments don't really focus on the people, right? Right. It's going to be on showing strength, power, um, and what whatever, whatever the agenda is of either of these groups that I don't even, I, I can't even begin to speak to because I, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But war, war, any kind of war is not good for people and children and other living things. Right. Just to like quote my (laughs) protest patch. But it's, I mean, I think it's accurate, you know? Yeah. I think being anti-war is a pretty liberal thing. Yeah, it is pretty liberal to be anti-war and also recognizing how war, in my opinion, seems to be fairly easy. Like where other more diplomatic measures or accepting groups that are different yeah. seems to be a lot harder to well, I, do. I think we can look at that on the microcosm too, right? Like fighting with other people just because you disagree is a whole lot easier than sitting down and coming to a table and trying to find common ground. Yes. 
And yeah. it, so the these governments that wage war are the macrocosm of how hard it is just for us as individuals to do that thing. Yes. Yes. So Jenny, what is the most liberal thing that you did or thought this week? <laughs> um, so mine is actually um, from last week. It's because this week is, has been a little bit of an odd week and I don't really feel like I've done anything liberal this week short of working. My job, I guess, could be described as liberal, but I don't really want to go into that. Um, I did want to talk about last week and going to the library board meeting. I went to it on Zoom and they've been talking about their uh, facility use policy and like there's this controversy about our local pride group who during June they rented a space to show like these two movies one movie was rated like PG-13 and it had um, like parents were there with their kids like there was consent everybody knew what they were getting into and then there there was another movie that was rated R and it didn't actually play but there is huge pushback from members of our small town community that it should not have been shown there and how dare it and it has these very palpable undertones of anti-LGBTQ plus and it's um, frustrating because it seems to be the same group of people that we can track who are also going to city council to be anti-non-discrimination policy for the town and the ones that are going to the school board and our school board changed the wording in their non-discrimination policy to take out like gender identity and sexual identity and all of these other protected Pre- classes. If I remember, it was pregnancy, pregnancy and, and ve- veteran status. Veteran status. As well. Yeah, which I think they just threw that in there. Um, I don't know. I think it was definitely spawned by anti-LGBTQ+. Um, but they deny it, and it's... Yeah, so tell us yeah, about anyway. the book Yeah. So the person stood up. Yeah, <laughs> so um, it, was, it ended up being a live erotic reading that I did not know I was signing up for by going to the <laughs> board meeting. Um, but this person, who is a person who's been speaking a lot of things, a loud person in the community, read from... I don't even know what book because I didn't write it down, but the, read this really graphic sex scene between two men and like uh, it made me blush. It made me like, like, oh, this is really this is a really private reading. Like, I don't feel like we should be reading it on Zoom to be recorded. And right. like, was there um, ever but, like a library group that read this book out loud? No, no, the- no. This it never happened. Uh, where that book was read out loud to a group of people. But one thing that did happen is apparently there was a young man who was probably 12, I think. He was at the library, and he walked past some of the computers, like the adult computers, and somebody was looking at porn. And this young kid went and told his mom, and so his mom has been really... um, activating herself and trying to activate other people to do something about it so it never happens again, right? Mm. And um, it's been this uh, way for people to also slip in other things, I think, too, that they're 
they want to see change or have happen at the library. She doesn't necessarily seem to be on the same like mission as these other people to get like LGBTQ stuff out. She's just very much like porn should not be allowed at the library. Hmm. And um, I guess I don't disagree with that. Like I would hate for my kid to go to the library and watch somebody watching porn. But, like, I also think that... So this is where the most liberal thing comes in, right? Is, like, all of these groups are pushing for the library to take responsibility for this and that the library should stop this from happening. But at, under the umbrella of parents' rights. But what they're forgetting is parents' responsibility. Like, it is our parental responsibility to talk to our kids about what they see and what they interact with during the day. Mm-hmm. And that involves when they go to the public library, when they go to school, when they go anywhere. Because going to school, I worked in a middle school, I guarantee you some of those kids are looking at porn on their computer. So, like, that's a 12-year-old <laughs> who's in a middle school that's 6, 7, 8. And so you've also got, like, 14-year-olds there. There's a good chance. I mean, granted, the school district has gotten some really uh, much more strict controls on mm-hmm. what websites you can go to. But... Not on your phone. Like, your phone right. doesn't do the same thing. Like, so I guarantee you, your likelihood of coming across porn at the middle school is probably more likely than coming across porn at the school library. Right. So it sounds like some of these people are pushing for government intervention on their social or moral standing. Is yeah, that- I think on their moral standing. Yeah, they want the government to take a moral side. Right. So it sounds like. A, a person was watching pornography at the library, an adult, presumably, apparently. Yeah. apparently watching pornography. A 12-year-old walked by. He later told his mother about it. Yeah. And then this is kind of branched into now we're going to war against all content at the library. I think or it's, all controversial or gay or I think those other content. groups were already like primed to do that because it's what's happening nationwide. Okay. Right. But I think like this other what I so there's like this BS meter that goes off that's like we can't have this content for our children, children, protect the children. We got to protect, protect, protect the children. And it's just this national rhetoric to try and get certain books and certain accessible Mm -hmm. content out of the public hands, which it tends to be. That which is LGBTQ plus. Right. It sounds like they're appealing to people's emotions. Very much so. And then there's this other woman with, like, a legitimate concern who I think her concern is getting – it's being used as something to grab onto, but they're not focusing on it. Right. right? So they're actually not focusing on it. they're bouncing off of it. Okay, I see. So they're not focusing on this individual actor who is watching porn. Instead, they've made it like this is our knife into the body of this – whole thing of this organization yeah yeah we want we we want to control this we want to you know we don't like the lgbtq or any information about sexuality or maybe that's not what they're saying they're just saying they don't like information about sexuality because they're afraid that they might become gay yeah so nobody said that so what has been said like the one lady who was making her stance who'd read the erotic um (laughs) the erotic book content uh someone asked her privately how somehow she said i'm not anti-lgbtq plus i am anti-trans 
And so, like, she kind of made her stance pretty clear to this other private citizen uh, who I heard it from. And it's um, because she was afraid that her words are making her sound like she's anti-LGBTQ+, which it is. And it's like... You can't you can't say that because it makes it sound like I'm anti LGBTQ plus when I'm not I'm anti trans, and it's like, but lady, you just read a book about two dudes. <laughs> yeah, pretty sure you're anti LGBTQ plus, and trans is in there LGBTT right? <laughs> like it's part of the like whole spectrum of these non conforming people that don't conform to the binary like you were talking about. Right. And so what my liberal thing was, is that I spoke at that meeting. I hadn't planned on it. I had planned on attending, but then uh, had an appointment that morning. And so I couldn't attend. So I just went on Zoom and then I spoke and I spoke about how it is not the library's responsibility to uh, monitor who is accessing what content. Right. It falls on parents to be responsible for monitoring what content your children are accessing. Um, yeah. Okay. That was a really liberal thing that you did. <laughs> Thanks. <Speaking laughs> I get like a liberal badge. <laughs> <laughs> or just so I just find it interesting that when you talk about that, it just seems like this weird, just, man, I've been told my whole life that conservatives are for small government. Right. But then you you hear stuff like this and it is like, well, you're for small government on some things, but then you also want big government. You have to create another arm of the government to go and basically make sure that libraries or schools or whatever are free of any kind of content that that someone might find offensive. Well, so I think that's why they're actually just trying to shut these things down. Okay. Right. Like, I think they're trying to shut down public libraries. They're trying to shut down. I know they're trying to shut down public schools because it is a place where you can get that access and where you get that diversity. Yeah, you're right. I think, was it, is it Texas or Arizona or somebody? They just passed a school voucher laws and some of the criticism has been basically that if you have these types of schools, these charter schools or voucher schools that public education then doesn't get funding and they can also be quite exclusionary. Yeah. And they can be by like the policies of their charter, right? Like they can say that we aren't going to take certain kids or that Mm -hmm. you have to do a lottery to get in or like whatever. I mean, we can look to New Orleans as a perfect example because New Orleans Mm -hmm. itself, like New Orleans proper doesn't have any public schools. It has only charter schools. Okay. And I mean, I'm sure we could spend some time and do a deep dive into like why that is problematic. But I know just from like interactions with a person who lives there and has a child who goes to school there, it's really hard to find a good school. Right, because they can kind of they have a lot more freedom to do bad things. Right, because they're not accountable to the population or to the school board or Mm -hmm. So they can, yeah, and I have heard rumor too that they can not take kids based on behavior. Yeah. Or kids that have special educational needs, or they also don't have to provide transportation Mm -hmm. to their schools. And so, and then a lot of them are, I think, owned and ran by private equity too, I believe. I don't know if that's true. Yeah, Um, I don't know how many, but I know there's a lot that are private equity. 
I mean, I think it would definitely be something worth doing more research on and finding sure. out and doing like a whole episode on. Yes. That's a great future episode. That is a great future episode. Episode? I said through an R, and though it's an episode. Episode. Well, cool. Well, thank you for sharing your liberal thing of the week. Okay, so our topic for this week is going to be ACT. Which is uh, acceptance and commitment therapy. So... I had an opportunity to go to a conference uh, with a colleague in Denver where we went through ACT boot camp. Um, yeah, and it was like a week-long training. Yes. Yeah, and it was the days four, were yeah, like 12-hour days. Yeah. Yeah, it was a lot. Yeah, so it was a boot camp. Yeah, it was it was boot, camp, boot camp-ish as a person who's been through real boot camp, sometimes I, <laughs> right. I feel like that's a, you know, those types of words are used by people who don't really have any idea of what they're saying. I think what they're trying to just argue is it's an intensive training, but it was intensive. It was long. Um, and I still don't quite understand some a few things about it. And I do have a, a background in mental health counseling and a background in applied behavior analysis. I You're and, so funny. I have a background in it. You're an LPC. You're licensed mm-hmm. in both of these backgrounds yeah. that you have. So these backgrounds I have, yes, I have gotten and obtained professional licensure and I do practice for a, a living. Um, but more, I, I'm still, like I was just telling Jenny, that I am really kind of not understanding what is commonly called relational frame theory, which is an expansion of Skinner's use of, or B.F. Skinner, who was a behavioral psychologist in the 1950s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, wrote a book in somewhere in, somewhere in the 50s or 60s, I'm not entirely sure, called verbal behavior where he describes how humans develop words and languaging through time via relationships or based on what he calls listener behavior. So he differentiates between um, the speaker and the listener. And so the idea was how does a formation of sounds impact the environment and how does how do I get responses from the environment. So anyway, okay, using sound and using yeah, using words sound, words, language. Therefore, like my words have a purpose. Yes. Well, he argued strictly that verbal behavior was operant conditioning, which is basically a fancy way of saying learning through consequences. And people like Norm Chomsky argued that humans had a natural ability for language or what he called the language acquisition device that was just part of our our genetics and and Skinner viewed it much more from a operant point that humans only develop language because of the interactions that it has or the effect that using words has on the environment okay uh, my okay. perception is that it it doesn't really matter who's right Right. Chomsky or Skinner, um, or that they're both right to some degree. Correct. Yeah, because you can you could argue all day long that it's a, you know, you have phenotypes and genetics, which is 
shape genes that are shaped by behavior, by consequences. So I, I wave at someone, they wave back. I ask my my caretaker for water, I get water. It just is increasing the propensity that I'll do such a that type of behavior in the future. Um, so I think it's they're both correct. They're both right. Um, and what does this have to do with ACT? So ACT, uh, so this uh, a PhD a psychologist out of the University of, of Reno or Nevada, Stephen Hayes, was trying to expand Skinner's legacy or just basically saying, hey, I think Skinner's right. So he developed something called relational frame theory, which is based on this concepts of how humans associate words with images, with pictures, with sounds. Basically, you can derive relationships is what he would call it between the word light, a picture of a light and someone speaking light. So he was, uh, and it hasn't, to my knowledge, it hasn't been disproven, uh, but it does, it seems awfully like I've been trying to, and it's been for a few years, I've been really trying to understand what relational frame theory is. And I still don't think I entirely know, but they did develop a psychotherapy based off of relational frame theory called acceptance and commitment therapy. Oh, okay. So this relational frame theory is the foundation of act. act. Yes. Acceptance and, and commitment, commitment therapy. therapy. So the idea, I think um, what I think if I understand what Stephen Hayes and these guys were saying was that they they're hopeful that RFT will be around for a really long time, but they don't so much care about act. I mean, I think they care about it, but as for it to be around for a long time, it's just like another, like he was kind of talking about how it was just another, like a wave of counseling, a wave of therapy, but rather than focusing on trying to eradicate thoughts, it was more taking the time. And so they weave these kind of elements of mindfulness through this or present moment focusing, depending on how you want to say it just into like into people so they can live more presently. And then also framing mental illness more to do with Western cultural values and trying to escape from emotion because you can argue that most psychopathology is a product of dysregulation of emotional systems okay and when we're talking about psychopathology uh let's just put it to a name to things that are like easy easily mental illness well like but what anxiety anxiety depression Depression. um because we're not talking like actual psychosis like if you have um if you're schizophrenia, schizophrenia. If you're if you're schizophrenia, if you have yeah, schizophrenia. schizophrenia, then this therapy is not. Is it appropriate for someone uh, with schizophrenia? They didn't. They didn't really talk about that. Um, they did question schizophrenia just because there isn't any. A lot of it comes down. A lot of questioning of mental illness, and I don't want to put words in their mouth, but it just comes down to there not really being any strong biomarkers. 
or any like really way to diagnose it in the physical body. Right, because it just comes from the conversation you have with somebody and them self-reporting. Yeah, so it's just trying to... Or watching their behavior, right? Yes. Because there are certain behavioral markers. There are behavioral markers, yeah, or phenotypes for certain types of mental illness, but a lot of it is based on self-report. And as a society, I think we have... We constantly talk to people about how they have to be happy. Yeah. Or the goal is happy. Or if I do yeah. this, then I'll be happy. Or if I can get away from my anxiety, then my life will be worth living. Or right, I feel like I feel anxious all the time. I'll feel happiness instead of anxiousness. Same with depression, right? Like if I'm not feeling depressed, then I'm going to feel the opposite of that, right? Right. Yeah. But I, I think I've found just dealing with my own mental illness that that's not true. Like and coping with my own mental health. Because I don't, I don't really like mental illness. I don't know. I don't like feeling like my brain is ill. My brain just functions mm-hmm. differently. Sure. Um, so my own mental health, when it comes to depression, when the depression is not there, the opposite is not joy. The opposite is just like, meh. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and a lot <laughs> of people like, this have... this is what it is, and it's yeah, okay. And I think people have a hard time accepting... I think that they're not really saying that like you have to tolerate or accept abuse. I want to be really clear about that. You don't have to right. tolerate if you're a trans person or you have to you have to live in a society that isn't being affirming or if you're an African American or or whatever. They're not saying that you have to tolerate or accept these social conditions that are outlandish or abusive. Yes. What they're saying is that being depressed, feeling anxiety is part of the human experience and that you're going to be anxious and it's okay to be anxious or to have anxious thoughts and they do a lot of present moment focus. So if I'm having thoughts about anxiety or feeling anxious, the idea would be to become the observer of those thoughts and there's a visualization where you imagine that you're laying in a field and mm-hmm. you see some clouds and those clouds they represent all of these thoughts about I'm anxious, I'm not worthy, I suck and you just observe them as you watch them go and the idea is to just kind of drop the string or what? drop what it is like the clinging on to it the oh it's the, so af- the the way you feel about it like so yes I'm not worthy yes I suck and and entertaining that thought instead it's just to hey I had this thought cool because yeah. thoughts don't necessarily or even at all predict behavior because we all have millions and millions and millions of thoughts every day there is a constant person thing running in your brain all the time right well and what i'm thinking like when you're saying that visualization which visualizations really help me because i am a visual learner and it makes it make more sense like words like i'm not a word learner i'm like a word processor like i don't know i don't know that that's actually a thing i'm just making i'm just making stuff up so more what i'm what i'm saying is that visualization really helps when like I've been reading um, a lot of information about being in the present moment and about when you 
have thoughts that your thoughts are not you, your emotions are not you, you are this separate thing from these thoughts and these emotions. And so visualizing that you're like laying on a field and you're looking up at the clouds and the clouds are actually the thoughts. Yes. Um, it's easier to visualize being the observer in that kind of context. Cause what I've actually been trying to do is picture myself being the actual observer in my brain. Like, so I'm mm. trying to like picture my brain and like this small me that's in there trying to observe thoughts go by, like on a screen mm. And that hasn't really been working. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a really hard thing for me the to other. visualize. But I have laid on the ground and I have stared at clouds go by. And yeah. they do not impact me the way that my thoughts impact me. My right. thoughts like beat me up on the daily. Mm-hmm. Whereas clouds don't beat me up. I mean, occasionally yeah. they rain and they snow. They do the things. But like they're just clouds. They're just drifting by. And to be able to see my thoughts that way is profound I think like mm-hmm. it's a profound shift in the way that I view this role of being the observer hmm. yeah I know it is a real interesting visualization because you can just I mean I, I picture like I'm reading a graphic novel and there's little comic the or bubbles. The, the bubbles the clouds that have the words in it so i kind of pictured oh, yeah, that as my bubbles. as my thought and the interesting thing is just is like even the other visualization was to imagine that you're laying under a tree and the leaves that are falling off those are drifting and around those are our thoughts and so you can reach out with your hand and grab a yeah. hold of one of those thoughts and then you can and you can keep it. it you could take it with you you yeah. could destroy that thought yeah you could but like, it isn't about destroying i mean like you could be so focused on that thought correct yeah you can that let it you miss all of you. the other yeah be consumed by yeah, yeah. That's so it's yeah. uh it's and like the thing that i found interesting about act is not only is it like focusing on what they call psychological flexibility and there's six dimensions of psychological flexibility and I can't I'm trying to think if I can remember all of them Uh, you have values you have um, fusion and diffusion you have present moment Uh, you have self as context so I've just picked up what is that five of them Mm -hmm. and there's one there's one more um, let me see if I can find it here in my in your notes I did take quite a few notes in this course and hold on I found it so you have acceptance contact contact with the present moment and then you have values committed action self as contacts and diffusion so these are the the essence of um, act okay so it's based on these those six kind of things. Can I ask you another question real quick? Yes. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Um, Just, again, I'm going back, I'm making it about me for a second, but so are the emotions the same way in this act? Like, do they describe the emotions as similar to thoughts? Like, they they are just these things that pass by? Yeah, they are. They're things that you feel, things that you experience. They're not good or bad. They're, but they're, and they're based on the thoughts. Like, yeah, they can so be the based thought on thoughts or even what you're th- what's going on to you at the current moment. Like you can feel anger or maybe have an outburst or you can feel anxious, you can feel depressed. 
you can feel those things. Are they tied to thoughts, though? Like, can I you think feel a lot the of, things with that? I don't know if it's necessarily tied to thoughts, but they described it more as that's a time rather than fusing. So the opposite of diffusion is fusion, where you're fusing and you're identifying with that thought. And so that's where it comes back. If you have the thought loser, you're fusing to that and being like, you're going to entertain the ways in which you're a loser rather than make just, that your identity. You, you could for or, the time. Yeah, sure. Um, but emotions were more about like presence. So when they talked about their other value on of the six things, contact with the present moment. Yeah. So that would be what's okay. How are you feeling? You're, why are you angry? Think about, or you don't need, not even a why you can just feel that you're angry and recognize that you're, that you're angry. Yeah. So I think it, and it goes back to something that I learned at work, which was, uh, something from one of the many restraint systems that I've learned over the years. And it's about, uh, affirming your feelings and choosing your behaviors. So I think okay. in a sense, that's what they're saying. Like here, I'm in the, the present moment. I'm affirming these feelings that I'm having. It doesn't necessarily mean that I have to act on it. Right. I'm just going to affirm that I'm having them. I'm yeah. affirming that I'm feeling angry and I can feel that and not do anything about it. Yeah. Just or you can it. choose just different ways of, of going about it. So, yeah. I mean, but it's like, they're not saying that it's bad or good. In fact, they're just saying a whole lot of our context, our life is just, it is like, we're just humans feeling yeah. humans doing humans being whatever the latest catchphrase is. Um, it, right now for me, the latest catchphrase is that I am a human being, not a human doing right. okay. because of trying to be in the present moment, yeah. which is so instead of, because again, that goes to like, I think some of my own trauma and maybe to my ADHD and maybe to some other things, but there's this, these feelings that I get overwhelmed by when I'm not doing something. And mm. if I'm not doing something, that means that I'm not living a life that's worthwhile or I'm not worth anything. I have no value if all I'm doing is being. Right. If you're just sitting because you're supposed to be laboring. Yeah. You're supposed but it's to be, okay you're to supposed just to be doing. Um, I had actually taken some notes on that particular I want to look at it because I had written to channel another podcast that I sometimes listen to. Um, fuck Milton Friedman. Cause you know, like we're told basically that you have to labor and you have to work and you know, we can all achieve some kind of economic success. But like I wrote that if you're like part of our Western culture here is don't worry, be happy. If you're not happy, if you are not happy, it's your problem. Right. So, and then like, there was a comment that one of the speakers made, we're literally told these messages like bootstraps, like pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Your own happiness is your, right. like, it's just what you're, it's the outcome. It's the state of mind. It's what you're supposed to be. There so, are so many problems with those statements, but anyway. <laughs> yeah. And so I wrote some other notes in here, just tears. And like, if you're unhappy, it's so difficult for other people. Yeah. So when, when you're frustrated, the universal you is mad or angry, like, like there's people in your environment where you can't say that you can't experience emotions because sadness. it's going to impact them. Yeah, so they try to make it better or make you stop talking about it. Yeah, because Sometimes, of how it makes them feel. Yeah, because it makes call, them feel their emotions. Yeah, we'll call it like in psychotherapy or like when I've read 
a lot of notes from other people, they'll talk about redirection and refocus. So rather than being in that space with someone, instead, they're just trying to make it stop because then they like it's so when you think about self as contacts, it's about their self, how they feel. Yeah. And they don't they feel uncomfortable. Right. So that perspective taking or that empathy is not bi-directional like it's not a two-way street they're just wanting it to stop but then a lot of us a lot of times in my own experience like i'll feel emotions people aren't okay with it um but i want or i'll try to make other people stop feeling emotions because i'm not okay with it but when i'm feeling emotions a lot of times i just want to be validated right or just have somebody telling me like hey man i i I hear i hear not try to make me feel better well, and I even, I'll even say that I take that one step further and I internalize that uh, other people are feeling feelings based on my feeling of feeling feelings. And I have to make them not feel a certain way just because I'm feeling a certain way. Like, so if I'm sad, like I don't necessarily want to share that with people because I don't want to... Like I internalize that I'm more concerned about what they're going to feel about my feelings than Mm -hmm. I am concerned about my own feelings. Right. And I haven't really been aware of that until recently. Right. Mm. Like that was just a reaction I would have. Like, so if people would ask how you're doing, your your response is fine because you don't want to inconvenience other people. You don't want to burden them with your emotions when in the reality of it, I shouldn't be so concerned about what my emotions are doing to somebody else. But concerned and feeling what my emotions are doing to me and spending more time being present with that and less time worried about how it's impacting other people. I guess you would have. I mean, sure, you're always going to worry about how because like self is context, right? Like we're able to perspective take. But the other thing is, too, is I think that ACT is trying to do is get people to be more okay with other people experiencing emotion and instead like letting letting go of the notions that happiness is the only outcome. I think it's important to recognize that you're going to experience happiness, you're going to experience sadness and a whole range of pain, pleasure, all of those things throughout your life, your life. And like there is no ultimate happiness. Like you're not going to get this and then be happy. Like for me, I always thought, so I took a, or I committed to be a BCBA mm-hmm. and signed a contract. And I thought that, okay, so I've got this licensed professional counselor. You know, I, I didn't really find a lot of respect for that. And so I thought, well, I'll go get this educational degree and get this specialization as a behavior analyst. And I thought, well, then when I have this, you know, after the two years or the year and a half of college plus internship, it'll be, oh, now, now I'll get respect. Right. Respected by the professionals at work. Yeah. Not like respected in your personal life, but respect at work. Yeah. Like respect at work. And and I think we spend a lot of time at work. So sometimes our identities really get caught up in. Yeah. Our identities get caught up in who we identify with because that goes back to that whole like being the observer. Mm -hmm. Like you if you identify with because I am an educator, but I and like this was something that was really hard for me and something that I still struggle with because I define who I am by what I do. Right. And what I do is I am an educator, but that's not who I am. I am a person who taught who taught. Yeah. But I 
am still me. Like I'm still Jenny, like regardless of whether I'm a teacher or whether I'm a server at the local restaurant or whether I am, I don't know, doing something completely different. Like if I'm doing Mm -hmm. something else. Right. But like, I'm still me. Right. But so like we do, we do identify with our position and then we put a lot of weight on how other people treat us right. in regard and, to that position. Yeah. Cause you just want to be, you want to feel, I don't, I don't know. I think we get these grandiose visions that when I get this, I'll be this, yeah, yeah. I'll be treated this way and life will be fantastic. As soon as I get this, then, then I'll be happy. And when I got that, I just, it didn't matter. Like I still, like it was still the same. Like it was just like, okay cool. So I always like, while you were speaking, my thoughts were going back to when I was doing like a counseling inter internship and the guy that was my supervisor, the psychologist, he often would say in regards to our skills, our identity is that you're Brad, but you're just skilled in this. Yeah. Or oh, like you yeah. have That's this a great skill way to put it. set in this. And so, in fact, our conversation was actually because I was young, naive, caught up in the code of ethics of the American Counseling Association and believing that I couldn't overshare my personal story or things like that with people that I was seeing for for professional, for psychotherapy. And I was telling my my mentor at the time, and he kind of reframed it for me. And he said that I needed to stop like thinking of myself as this professional and all this. And he said, instead, you're just Brad with these skills. Yeah. And so I, I kind of really, it made me really step back and, you know, cause at the time I was working and providing supports for people that were transitioning from like community living to living in an assisted living or to living in a nursing home. And just going through these really life altering experiences where you had freedom, you had this, and now you're in a nursing home, sharing a room with somebody, there's a curtain, yeah. you're being, you know, your life people, is more restricted. Yeah. And, and people are telling you what to, to do that are 18, 19 years old, you know, not letting you choose your clothing and so forth. But I had just gotten so, and like he even, my, my mentor said like, Hey, you know, like this person isn't going to come and murder you or like, it doesn't matter <laughs> if you tell them how many kids you have. Cause that was actually the question that she asked me. And I told her, well, I can't tell, I can't tell you how many kids I have because that's a violation of the ethics code. That sounds like something you would have said. Yeah. Like an exact quote you would have said. So like, like I was just very rigid, <laughs> very rigid in my perception of what I could share, what I couldn't share. Cause I was really caught up in the, in the context and the, my fusion to these words to use act terminology of like being a counselor, being a therapist. Like I had a perception and a belief about what that meant, but it was to the detriment of maybe someone that I could have helped. Yeah. To the service that you were providing. Um, just to talk about that idea, like of fusion of identifying with the thoughts and the words that you're having, like Eckhart Tolle calls that like your ego. Your ego is identifying with this certain thing, like that you are a therapist and a therapist must do such things. Right. Um, instead of being Brad who provides therapy. Right. Just, or Brad who has the skill set. I just have the skill set. Yeah. yeah. Talking to people mm-hmm. who are dealing with difficult things and helping them process it. Yes. Yeah. So I think um, I think that 
but we could probably talk about this a little bit more maybe yeah next session or whatever that's a good amount of information about it yeah i do i feel pretty good about that (laughs) (laughs) okay okay so we talked about act but we didn't talk about relational frame theory so maybe we can talk about that more next time um especially like into regards to these ideas yeah yeah i think it's probably okay to have that conversation cool And that's a wrap for today's episode. Thanks for joining us on Poorly Taped. We hope you enjoyed our small town take on life, politics, religion, and everything in between. Absolutely. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Please feel free to leave us a review. We love hearing from you. Five stars for that review would be great. And a big shout out to our amazing listeners who make this podcast possible. Your support means the world to us. Before we go, remember, it's okay to disagree. It's okay to have a different perspective. The beauty lies in the conversation and the underlying understanding we gain from it. So until next time, keep those ideas flowing, keep those minds open, and keep being awesome. This is Jenny. And this is Brad, signing off from Poorly Taped. Take care, stay curious, and remember the conversation continues beyond the mic.